Welcome to N of One, where a multi-viewed perspective on health is brought to light for anyone that wants to help change the world one fraction of time by helping themselves first. This is intended for educational purposes only. Any change in your diet, exercise, supplements, or medication needs to be assessed by a licensed physician. So today we'll be taking a break from a routine GI track podcast by getting an introduction to behavior and mental health and how that changes how we view ourselves and the people around us. So today we have Dr. Allison Quadhammer in order to give that introduction. Welcome to the show. Please provide a little introduction for the audience. Yes. I am a chiropractic neurologist who specializes in the physiology of mental health. And I also hold a master's degree in communication, um, which over the years has helped inform my practice so that I can help people understand not only how their physical symptoms are related to their health, but also their relationships and how they view the world impact awesome. their overall health. Sweet. And when you typically work with patients, do they understand the connection between those three components? Generally, no. Um, very often people are, uh, segment their, they separate their mind and their body, mm. um, as typical in Western culture. Um, if pain is pain, it is physical only. Um, and if emotions are emotions, they are mental only. Mm. However, new studies in the field of psychiatry and neurology show that the mind body connection is very real. Um, and physical pain is, and emotional pain are actually absolutely no different to the brain. That is quite interesting. Do you know how long this, uh, information has been available? Um, it's all fairly recent, uh, within the last 20 years, which is typical. There's about a 20 year lag between clinical research and clinical practice. Are you saying that, for example, if someone gets a physical injury of any type of severity, that that can affect their mental health and any type of mental health component can affect their physical and their chemical uh, compositions of their body? Absolutely. Um, there is no distinction. Everything has an emotional component to the body because that's how the brain processes it. It processes through how things feel. Um, and it's not how we consciously label how they feel. It's how physiologically things are playing out and how they feel. Um, and so it, let's say um, someone stubs their toe, right? That stubbing of the toe could be passed off as, oh, I just stubbed my toe. Or it could lead to anger at whatever stubbed, what that, whatever they walked into, to uh, being annoyed that they're now going to have to limp all day to, <laughs> it's going to, you know, like they have to take more time to like, maybe if their toes bleeding, they have like, and this downward spiral of actually emotions. And it really has nothing to do with the pain in their toe. But every time from that point on, they experience a pain in their toe, they're going to revisit the anger and the frustration and the, 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 uh, the negative emotions of the toe stubbing. And just like you mentioned before, that experience that you have later on with that stub toe, that is subconscious. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So our conscious brain um, is the thing that makes up socially, morally, religiously, culturally acceptable lies about why we do what we do. 
And <laughs> it's really good at keeping the veil over uh, our true intentions and allowing ourselves to live um, with some discrepancy between what we're doing and what our true intentions are. Mm. Our unconscious brain or our subconscious brain cannot lie. Um, it, it cannot lie. And our unconscious brain, it comes out, our subconscious brain comes out primarily through our nonverbals when we communicate and when we interact with other people. Also, nonverbals are also our physical and physiology, physiological conditions, our sensations of pain, and our emotions. Um, so oftentimes people who will, you know, end up sobbing at a Hallmark commercial, <laughs> it's not really... Hallmark commercial that's causing them to sob. It's something else emotionally that has been triggered that they, their conscious brain has labeled the cute, you know, Hallmark commercial when really it's they're grieving their lost loved one or um, something along those lines. Uh, one example that comes to mind, especially when you brought up the Hallmark commercial, was when, um, if you've ever seen uh, 13 Reasons Why. The reason why I bring yeah. it up is because uh, many other friends and family members have given their feedback or their perspective on the show, and many people have had different reactions to it, some more emotional than the others. So that just made me think of what you just said made me think of either did they have other friends or family members, uh, with even within my group of family members that I didn't know that have expressed their um, pain, and then they were able to and or um, manifest that while they're watching it and they got to that emotional component because they understood it subconsciously from the past yes um, media tv shows movies can be used as great catharsis uh mediums um, one of my, i work a lot with women daughters of narcissistic and dysfunctional mothers mm. um, and one of my favorite TV shows is actually Gilmore Girls for this reason. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> um, and because if used intentionally, um, knowing going in, if you've come from a dysfunctional mother-daughter relationship, in watching the show, and Gilmore Girls is a show where it's a young girl who ends up getting pregnant at 16 and has her daughter and raises her on her own, but her mother, the main character's mother, is highly narcissistic and dysfunctional. Um, and so you have two relationships of mother-daughter, one that is highly dysfunctional and one that is much more healthy, um, being played out in the same show. And, yes. <laughs> and so a lot of times women who, who don't, um, are not ready to process um, or, or are not willing, are not ready to consciously walk that, find that show particularly hard to watch, um, because they're triggered by the grandmother-daughter relationship, but as they start to heal and they know that they can use those sorts of mediums, um, to re-experience, because re-experiencing is really the path through, um, when you repress and, and dismiss and, um, suppress emotions the way you heal is by re-experiencing them mm. <laughs> which is if if you are 
uh, really triggered having a qualified therapist or healthcare professional with you to help you process will will be beneficial. But if you are at a state where you can consciously walk something like watching a Gilmore Girls um, to allow you to re-experience your own grief, pain, sadness, despair, um, loss of hope, um, desire uh, for a healthy mother-daughter relationship, it can actually be quite effective. Thank you for that. I, I remember watching that show with my mom when I was younger and I, you know, looking back and reflecting on my own experience, I did not even realize that was, that was there in that show. Yeah. So is. I have a question about emotion because I hate to speak stereotypically, but I think the sure. notion that emotions only go with females and not with males. So you kind of hit an emphasis on how we suppress certain emotions and that made me think of of a more male like component or a characteristic of males and suppressing certain emotions so is there a uh, is there really a disconnect or that big of a difference between male and females and how we deal with emotions um there is a difference in how males and females process their emotions yes However, um, whether or not male or female leads to more suppression, I don't believe so. I believe the experiences, if they are big and dramatic, especially traumatic in a negative way, it tends more towards a suppression or repression, um, especially when experienced at younger ages. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that um, plays along sex lines. So, uh, but as far as how men and women process, women do tend to be, uh, because it is culturally um, more acceptable for women to be emotionally more expressive, Mm. women do tend to seek out things like therapy and mind-body work um, and be more expressive. Um, of the full range of emotions, crying, sadness, happiness, joy, Mm -hmm. whereas, unfortunately, there is still a stigma around men um, being, you know, John (laughs) (laughs) Wayne-ish, right, very stoic and manly and tough, Um, and uh, it takes a different approach to get men to feel and experience experience their emotions so that they can reprocess and heal mm. um, but a a woman who has suppressed typically will come across as hysterical mm. <laughs> <laughs> whereas a man and, and this is generalizations it's not you know true Correct. for everyone yes a man who has will generally come across as very angry. In, in our culture, especially here in the U.S., um, emotional health is not prized. Mental health is not prized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not seen as valuable. Um, there's starting to be a shift now, and actually um, your generation is leading the charge on this, so thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just labeled myself as old, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always young in my um, Oh, thank you. Um, but there does seem to be um, a, a shift coming where mental health 
is being more talked about, more um, more valued. Companies and corporations are taking note and offering services like telehealth and telepsych um, to help their emotion, the the emotional climate in the workplace and the mental health of their workers because they know that burnout is a real thing. That's really where the companies come in is they don't want their their workers burning out um, because it costs them money. So (laughs) they want their workers to be mentally stable to continue working. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, take what you can, right? Um, (laughs) um, But there there is a shift right now. And the other shift that's coming is that that we're seeing is the reintroduction or um, the incorporation of Eastern models of thinking where the mind-body connection was never separated. the mind-body connection is very separate here in the Western culture. You have a mind and you have a body, right? They, they don't talk to each other. They're separate. One cannot influence the other. Um, whereas Eastern thinking, Eastern practices, um, that mind-body connection has never been separate. And so there is an influx here in Western culture where that is becoming something more talked about and more valued. Um, in how physiology affects mental health and mental health affects physiology. Um, wow. The big, advent, the big advent with this was the ACEs study, Adverse Child, Childhood Events Study, that was conducted a couple of years ago um, that showed that children who experienced significant trauma um, had exponentially higher rates of chronic health conditions like heart disease, migraines, cancer, autoimmune conditions, mental health issues, significant mental health issues like bipolar, schizophrenia, personality disorders. And so that study um, really sparked a shift in primarily right now the psychological research of looking at how do we support the mind and the body to create a whole healthy person mm. um, from the beginning. Yes. And our the recent podcast that I just created, because we started a, a GI series, and the last podcast I was discussing about the manner in which our gut health influences our brain. Would you want to go into any of your experience with um, guidance, guidance or knowledge of how the gut interacts with the brain? Well, you know, a lot of serotonin is created in the gut. Serotonin is our happy chemical, <laughs> right? Um, so if you have leaky gut or gut inflammation, IBS, Crohn's, things like that, your serotonin production is going to be affected. Um, the vagus nerve comes down and communicates from the brain directly to the gut. Um, and your vagus nerve controls your 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 relax and de-stress and heal mechanism. Um, And so if your vagus nerve is not firing properly or if it's overridden by your fight, flight, or freeze mechanism, your sympathetic system, um, not only is your gut going to be stressed and you're going to experience things like GERD and IBS and um, diverticulitis and Crohn's and whatnot and leaky gut, um, but you're also going to experience... stress responses, right? Um, You're going to be 
experiencing things like insomnia and um, anxiety, depression, um, you name it, right? Mm. It's all connected. So, and in current functional medicine, which is also an emerging field now, the focus is primarily on the gut. Heal the gut, heal the rest of the body. Um, However, the brain is the thing that controls everything. So if you can heal the brain, (laughs) you're going to heal everything else. So lots of, uh, obviously, chiropractic is a hands-on piece of, like, a component to people's health. So how does that influence our brain? So our brain is constantly taking in input from all sources, more more sources than we are consciously aware of. Our unconscious subconscious brain is processing trillions of pieces of information every second, right? We are conscious, our conscious brain lets us be aware of maybe 50 or 60 of them, right? We're aware of the temperature of the room, we're aware of the light quality, we're aware of you know whether or not our genes are scratchy. Um, there are so many other things that our unconscious brain is taking into account that then is also processed to create our physical and emotional and mental state that a practice like chiropractic that's hands-on adds additional input. Mm. And so when I adjust, I can ideally... And the practice I use uses breathing because breathing has been shown to be the number one predictor of, of mortality and morbidity across all, um, all cause mortality and morbidity. And so when I affect how someone's breathing, i.e. making them more efficient, I am making their brain function better. I am putting healthful input into their brain to allow their brain to respond and adapt more easily to all the things that it that they are not consciously aware of that's that's pretty that's pretty profound knowing that you just said trillions of pieces of information (laughs) wow that is that's pretty pretty insane you can almost i mean even for me i'm not really good at math or like trying to like you know mentally have that image or like of how many pieces of information that is, like that's almost unfathomable. A lot of zeros. There's a lot of of zeros that we are not consciously aware of, right? Our brain, right? Our, my brain is sitting here right now, you know, unconsciously digesting what I had for lunch, right? If I was consciously aware of that, I would not have the capacity to be sitting here talking with you, mm. right? Um, and so the, the unconscious processes of our brain are really what control us and really what we run off of. And our conscious understanding, what we are aware of, really is just a very small fragment of what is actually going on. And so passive therapies like chiropractic actually are more effective um, at creating long-term sustainable change in the brain because we bypass the conscious brain. Mm. So when we discuss the subconscious portion of our nervous system, how does that, are there any indications to how people um, learn and the, the best manners in which people learn? 
So the best indicator of how people are processing is through their nonverbal communications. Mm. So I think I said up top, I have a master's degree in communication. Um, I have always been fascinated by nonverbals. And one of the primary ways you can determine how someone neurologically processes their world, okay, um, is by watching their eyes as they talk and watching their breathing. And so uh, primarily people will process their worlds one of three ways, through our senses, right? Um, we have our five conscious senses. Um, and most people will process, however, through either what they see, what they hear, or what they feel. There are, and that's what they primarily rely on. Mm -hmm. um, there are the very small percentage who rely primarily on what they taste or what they smell. Um, those people usually end up being food critics or chefs. <laughs> <laughs> and they're very good at it. <laughs> um, but when we process our world because of the way memory is constructed, and this is a big topic, much, much more uh, in depth than, than your podcast right now. Um, but the way we process our world depends on the inputs that come in and how we can um, coordinate as much of our senses as possible into a memory. Mm. So when uh, we have a healthy memory or a neutral memory, it will contain all five senses, mm. right? Um, it will contain a visual component and, and an auditory component, a feeling component, a smell component, a taste component. Mm. Um, when something is traumatic in our memory and causes us to go into a fight, fight, or freeze, freeze reaction, um, thereby shutting down our vagus nerve and shutting down our rest and digest reaction and making us hypervigilant and causing us to become predisposed to long-term health and health conditions and mental health disorders. Um, our memories of those events will not, will be missing a component. Okay. Mm. So if, Someone is a visual processor, and how I would determine this is as I talk with them, as I get their narrative, as I talk with them about things that, that have stressed them out, I will watch their eyes. Um, and depending on where their eyes go and how they breathe, it will give me an indication as to this person is a visual processor. You can also hear it through the language that they use. These will be the people that will be like, I see you, <laughs> right? Did you see what happened, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, I mm. looked out the window. They'll use very visual words, right? Mm. Um, and these are the people, most people are visual in, our, in, the, in the US, most people are visual. Um, the world, the U.S., the world in the U.S. is set up for visual people, um, <laughs> right? Um, all you have to think of is like Times Square or Las Vegas with all the lights and the flashing, right? It's mm. very visually stimulating, okay? Yes. Um, and so for a visual person, right, how things look will be of primary importance to them, mm. okay? 
So they will, and this is, uh, again, we're like sort of generalizing, they will be good uh, readers, right? Um, they will be able to read something, recall it, retain it, right? Mm. Uh, they will be able to sit in a classroom and have something written on the blackboard, excuse me, excuse me, and um, remember it. Mm. Um, they will be able to watch a video <laughs> and remember it. Okay. Um, they might also uh, be uh, more trendy, like in terms of clothing, than the other types. Um, or they might be the ones that have a certain look, right? Like, this is my look. Like, you think mm -hmm. of, like, Audrey Hepburn, right? She has, you think Audrey Hepburn, she had a look, yes. right? Um, <laughs> um, so... So those are your visual people. Um, then you have your auditory people, your auditory processors. And this is um, your auditory processors will be, now let me back up to visual people. Visual people, when it comes to trauma, can simply see something happen, right? Um, like a Law & Order episode or a horror movie or see their mother being beaten by their father and they will be traumatized mm. because that's they saw okay mm. um auditory people um they rely primarily on their sense of hearing to process their world these are the people that can hear the kids talking on the entire other side of the room with all the doors closed and the tv on <laughs> these are the people who um either like too much noise can be really overstimulating but too much quiet can be unnerving mm. uh, auditory people tend to be slightly more conscious with their word choice than the other types because mm. they understand the power of words and because of that, they are also more susceptible to emotional abuse mm. um, than the other types. Um, and so if you're talking with a auditory person, things like name calling um, or just spouting stuff off can be incredibly damaging to that person and to the relationship mm. because that's their way they process. Mm. Um, and then uh, you have finally your your smallest group of of processors are your kinesthetic processors or how you feel um, the people who process how they feel. So these will be your movers and shakers, your pen clickers, your toe tappers, your pacers. <laughs> um, they need movement to think. Okay, mm -hmm. they absolutely need movement to think. Um, in my experience, not all, but many. Um, kids who are labeled ADHD are actually kinesthetic processors who are trying to function in a primarily visual world. Mm. Um, and so disruptive and disturbing to visual people because they are trying to learn, but the way they learn is disruptive to most other people. Um, the kinesthetics, um, physical abuse, is how they um what will get them because it's about feeling they are very um kinesthetic people are very um what's the word i'm looking for 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very concerned about how and who and where uh, they are touched. Mm. So um, some kinesthetics will only allow certain people to touch them. Some mm. people, some kinesthetics will respond um, very negatively to a certain type of touch, right? Um, or positively, depending. Um, some kinesthetics simply being in a crowded room will overwhelm them because mm. of the physical, pending physicalness, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> um, they also uh, tend to be, um, they will dress for comfort over style, um, how things feel, <laughs> right? Um, hmm. They will be the ones who um, wear the super soft sweater, cozy sweaters, right? Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, um, it will, everything will be set up to feel right. If someone is primarily kinesthetic or has a strong kinesthetic, their home, you will walk into their home and it will have a feel to it. Mm. Right. Um, and, and it will reflect that person's personality. Um, <laughs> right. It, um, and they probably won't have a lot on the walls. And, um, right. But it will have a certain feel to it. Honestly, yeah. that was, uh, I learned so much just from you giving that introduction. I hope <laughs> the listeners also, I mean, that was a lot of information in and of itself. So I hope that the listeners have an opportunity to uh, hear it again and to experience it. Um, because I think that is such valuable information because what you just described, if a person, you know, living in a visual world, and if you do have other, uh, primary learners with, uh, auditory, uh, and kinesthetic people, it can almost feel like they're in a prison, like a mental prison. It, it absolutely can. Um, the United States, the U S is definitely structured for visual processors. Um, and so the auditory people can get by because of listening in or things but though they can be pinged for not making eye contact mm -hmm. um that's biggest things that um auditory and kinesthetics do not do is make eye contact because they're trying to rely on their other primary processing modality and the visual input is actually too much for them mm -hmm. to pay attention and so they can be pegged as being rude for not looking at people in the face or making eye contact when really they're just they're trying to connect and and understand. Uh, <laughs> and so we you can once you understand how you process um, and and are painfully honest with yourself about what you're doing, you can most definitely boost your other processing styles. Um, to make it easier to move through the world. Mm. Um, and so if you are not primarily visual, you can do visual things like art, you know, or um, drawing or, um, you know, really trying to focus on like, do these colors, you know, the shades of the colors and things like that, right? Really, really working on those visual components. Mm. Um, one thing I do is every morning I am not visual. I stand at my front door. <laughs> I, stand, I stand at the front door and I scan my office to make sure it's visually appealing. Right. Mm. It's not thing that I would necessarily care about. 
Um, but knowing that many of my patients are visual, I want them to walk into someplace that makes them feel comfortable. And if there's a stack of papers or something on the floor or something along those lines, I'm going to clean it up for them so that they um, feel comfortable um, in, in the space where they're supposed to be coming to heal. Yeah, seriously. And what I really like about what you just said, because this podcast, especially with the name N of one, is supposed to be finding the individual components that make up a person in order for them to find the best way that they can heal. And once they can understand themselves, they can help other people. So I think what you are doing is fantastic. You are literally making a personalized, individual, healthy environment for people to heal and to move on and to better understand themselves. So I applaud you because that I feel like is more rare, especially now in society. And just like you said, even like me reflecting on myself and knowing that there's been times where I have misunderstood people or I get upset by like myself because other people weren't making eye contact with me or I thought they were rude. And now that I look back, it's like maybe they were just processing something. They just needed a moment to do it. So I hope all the you know the audience who is li- listening and um, can help understand and reflect on their lives about themselves and their other individuals or be a loved one, a stranger, whatever the case may be. Um, we're all humans, and we all have the you know the same physiology, the same biochemistry, the neurology, and we're really not you know we we act like it's something different once we step out our door, like once we go outside our family, but it's still it's still the same thing, huh? It absolutely is. Um, and our ability healing starts with the individual. And so I think you, the name of your podcast is actually amazing because, um, you know, I forget, was it Gandhi who said, be the change you want to see in the world. Right. Mm. Um, and it starts from us learning about ourselves and learning how do we process our world? How does that relate to how other people process their worlds? How do I, how can I bridge that gap, right? Mm. Why do I do what I do, right? Is mm. that is that a healthy response or is it an unhealthy response? <laughs> is it really serving my needs, right? Or is it causing destruction, a path of destruction everywhere I go, mm-hmm. right? Or is it leading me to self-destruction? Um, and so really... The more you can find peace and understanding of yourself, the more you can extend that to those around you. And then it's a ripple effect out. Um, Mm. And that's really like my personal belief is that that is how change is created Mm. um, on a grand scale. Um, Because you will never get other people to um, change unless and until they themselves understand why and accept why change would be beneficial for them. Mm. Fantastic. So I have one little component that I want to talk about, and it's discussing pain. Good, bad, neutral. What's your insight on that? Pain is pain. There is no good or bad. (laughs) It just is. So, I mean, that's a pretty broad question. Mm -hmm. Um, But from, I'll go from my clinical, my clinical experience. Yes. Sometimes 
pain is pain, right? There is an actual injury, there is inflammation. Um, you can take, you know, an, an Advil or some like high powered, you know, painkiller and it'll go away, right? Mm. Um, and it goes away, goes along the ways that scientifically, neurologically, we have defined pain, mm. okay? Other times, pain is not pain. <laughs> <laughs> pain is emotion or a memory mm. uh, and these are the types of clients that I see um, they are the ones who have done everything taken everything tried everything and they're still in pain mm. and they come to me uh, with stacks you know, a, a foot deep of paperwork and files, and this is everything I've done and tried, and I'm still in pain. Mm. And those cases, because remember, the brain does not know the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. Okay. And when emotions and trauma are suppressed, as shown in the ACEs study, it leads to long term chronic. Um, health and mental health outcomes um, that lead to a higher risk of mortality and morbidity for people who have experienced trauma. Mm. And so what happens then is these people who have pain that is not pain, it is usually a memory of a pain or it is a physical representation of their emotional pain mm. because they have not allowed themselves or they are not capable of or they're not ready to process that emotional pain because it's mm. just too late. And so it's being manifest then physically because mm. in, <laughs> the brain will keep knocking, right? <laughs> I keep on knocking unless you let me in. Yeah. Um, and we'll get louder and louder and louder. There's a song for that. That's <laughs> sorry. Um, that's how my brain works. <laughs> um, there, uh, it will keep knocking, right? Um, but because most of what we do is unconscious, right? especially if there was early life trauma, early life injury that we couldn't bring to consciousness because we didn't have the neural pathways to do that, mm. it will come up as these weird, unresolvable issues. Mm. Okay. Um, and so for me, what that would look like, if a patient came in, I'll give you an example of a patient I had who had migraines for 30 years. And um, he had been to Mayo Clinic and he had been to other chiropractors. He'd been to a bunch of GPs. He'd been on and off of a bunch of really high powered medications and nothing really seemed to help. And he was having headaches nearly daily um, with at least once a week. They were kind of knocking him out of commission. And it was a memory as I talked to him in the first visit. <laughs> I was like walking it back, like when, you know, what have you tried? When was the first time you remember ever having a headache, right? And this is a key question that a lot of docs don't ask, like what was the first time? <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you start to do this type of mind-body work, that's a really important question because um, not always, but often you can nail the answer just by asking that question. 
Mm. And so this guy, this poor guy who had had these migraines for 30 years, the first time he ever got a headache was right after he had got done pitching in the college world championship. And this woman was heckling him from the other team. Mm. And this guy was auditory. (laughs) (laughs) And so like in the last game of his career on the pitcher's mound, he had this woman heckling him and they lost, I think they lost the game. And so he tied all that together as like this just trauma for him. Right. And it was the memory of that woman heckling him that was like reverberating through his head for 30 years. Mm. Um, And so I worked with him and we worked his memory and his changed his physiology around the memory and the headaches went away. Bam. Bam. Just like that. They're not always all that easy, (laughs) but they are that profound. (laughs) Yes. But it, 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 it goes to show that, you know, everything is connected just like you emphasized before and that there is um it's almost like you know we expect complicated health issues not to be so simplistic the answers in my experience are always simple but they're usually um not easy mm. yeah oh yeah oh, yes yes that's a that's a better way to phrase yes better way to phrase yes. that yeah. Hmm. So when we talked about how pain is pain is just pain, um, is there a manner which it serves us as um, either protecting or to move us forward? It can play both sides of the fence. Oh, sure. So, you know, if you have an injury, your pain is going to prevent you from further injuring that area. Right. It's going to protect you. You're going to limp or guard or, you know, something along those lines so that the area can heal. Mm. Um, However, there there is and uh, athletes tend to fall into this category of, um, you know, (laughs) no pain, no gain. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yes. Um, Where they actually get a little bit of a boost from causing themselves pain, not in an injury type of way, but pain in a growth type of way. Mm. Because growth, both physical and mental, is painful. Mm. Um, Like I said earlier, when you're recovering from trauma, the way out is through. You have to feel, right? Mm -hmm. And are you rated explicit? Um, (laughs) I I almost dropped enough. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for catching that. I am sorry. I'm explicit. Okay. okay. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. It is really, really hard when you've had trauma, right? Um, and you're stuck in that fight, fight, or flees response, and you're hypervigilant, and you're stressed out, and you've got anxiety and depression. It's really hard to feel 
it is it can be physically painful it's definitely mentally painful to feel those emotions when you've trained yourself to suppress and repress and look away and not deal and divert and distract for years decades mm. usually nice. um and um it can be very 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 painful and so um, the difference is in the mental mindset of how you look at pain, right? Mm. Um, pain from a new injury, right? Okay, this is telling me it's a gift, telling me to take it easy, right? Mm. Let it yes. heal. So don't have to do the immense heavy work on it later, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Right. This is little compared to what if I kept going right now and then dealt with it 10 years from now. Um, and the same goes with emotional pain. Right. Is as as we learn to heal from trauma and we learn to express our emotions in the moment and ride the wave, so to speak, mm. um, we start to notice that life is incredibly emotionally complex. Right. And especially in the beginning, we can feel a little crazy because we're mm. like, I'm happy and now I'm sad and now I'm neutral. And you can go through the whole range, um, not like um, not like a roller coaster, but you can go through a whole range of emotions in a day, <laughs> depending mm. on what's going on. Right. But acknowledging that, like, OK, at this moment, I'm a little touchy. So yes. instead of trying to run away from it or avoid it okay what can i do to do to to like acknowledge and sink into this it's okay i got it now move on next right mm, um, and uh it's a different way of walking through the world as you heal from trauma um, whereas a lot of trauma survivors very much are, uh, tend to be like, go, go, go. They can't sit down. Um, mm. they can't, they, they can't focus on anything for too long. Um, they can't stand being quiet. They'll talk incessantly. Um, <laughs> right. Because when they, they're quiet, then they're alone with themselves and that's oh. terrifying. Wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. They're alone with their own minds. Um, and that is terrifying to them. Mm. And so, and so as we learn to heal from trauma with that emotional pain, just like with physical pain, we learn how to accept in that emotional pain. So things like meditation, where you sit quietly with yourself, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Is a practice to learn how to be with yourself, just like icing and compressing a sprained ankle right, um, is a way to learn to tend towards that physical injury. Mm. So before those are, those are all the questions that I want to get through today. Uh, is there before we end, is there anything through the podcast or anything that you wanted to give to the public um, in terms of, you know, either besides the plethora and the Google Plex of things that you just said, um, which we can all learn from. So I'm going to definitely be listening to this podcast over and over because I have learned so much from today myself. Um, is there anything that you want to say to the public um, in regards to mental health, learning, behavior, anything that you want to send a message out? Um, really 
The change starts when you're willing to look at um, your own undesirable traits. Mm. Uh, and really uh, are brave enough because it it takes stones of steel um, to look at your your undesirable traits and the traits mm. that you are of and the traits that you um, <laughs> would rather not advertise, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and pretend it doesn't exist um, to start the healing process. And it takes it, it takes a very brave and very strong individual to do that. Um, and so, when uh, people embark on this journey, I, I absolutely encourage them to get with qualified healthcare and mental healthcare practitioners mm. to help, especially in the beginning, um, because it can be so uh, dramatic. Um, and the last thing you want to do is re-traumatize yourself by trying to do something that you don't know how to do or are not ready to do yet. Mm. Or, wow. Yeah. Be- beautifully but said. For those, yeah, but for those who are listening to this podcast, I mean, N of one, you already kind of, um, have adopted. I need to be the one to start the revolution. So keep going. Bingo. Sweet. Again, thank you so much for your time. I had a wonderful experience and I hope that you can, uh, hear and understand my gratitude towards your your time, especially on the weekend with your busy life to spend with me, um, and especially with the audience in the entire world. So hopefully we can have this ripple effect, <laughs> the ripple effect that we talked about earlier and the chaos theory and the butterfly effect and affecting the rest of the world by helping ourselves first. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, this is End of One signing out and be sure to like, subscribe, comment, and give us some feedback on what you guys think. Have a great day and until next time. Bye-bye.